Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Atlanta Offensive Coordinator Kyle Shanahan on his way to the Super Bowl. And longtime legendary Boston Globe sports columnist Bob Ryan. I asked Shanahan why he thinks that he's ready to be a head coach right now. When I look back, I feel what I've been through has really made me battle-tested. I feel I can handle anything. And um, I've been through a lot of situations that really have forced me to adjust. And in the long run, I think it's made me a, a better coach, a better person, um, and a lot more confident. I asked Ryan, how do these Patriots compare with the team he covered for a very long time, the Boston Celtics, in terms of the legend that they're creating? You have to rank this at the top because, as has been so often stated, it is a salary cap league. We are in a salary cap era. To do it in this regard and keep it going is a singular achievement. And now my conversation with Atlanta Offensive Coordinator Kyle Shanahan. Back on the podcast with Kyle Shanahan, the Offensive Coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. And Kyle, here we sit. What are we, back in the equipment room? I think so. I've never this been in this part before. This is the equipment room, yeah. You've never been in here before? <laughs> Not this part. Of the, uh, We're back <laughs> in the equipment room of the Georgia Dome after the last game in the history of the Georgia Dome. The Atlanta Falcons today, earlier, pulverized the Green Bay Packers, and you're going to the Super Bowl. So, first of all, when I say to you, Kyle Shanahan, you're going to the Super Bowl, what does that sound like? What does it feel like? Uh, it, it feels as good as you can imagine. Um, you never, you know, this year's been crazy. It's been one game at a time. You never try to get too caught up in anything. I've I've been in this league long enough to where, as soon as you start feeling good about something, it can humble you fast. So, um, really haven't felt great the whole year. And then now you get to this point, and holy cow, we're here, and we've got one more to go. And this definitely isn't the one we want, but to be in this position, and you know, there's going to be only two teams left. It's it's um, all you could ask for. At one point, let's. I want to ask you a couple things about this game. But at one point, you look up and. It's halftime, and the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers have not scored. What did it feel like at halftime coming in to be with your guys and looking maybe on the other side of the locker room and seeing the defense that has really played great? It was an unbelievable feeling. I mean, it just gave us a lot of confidence. You know, anytime you go against number 12 on that other side, you're you're expecting to have to score a lot. And to come in to where they have zero points on the board, you know, our guys did a great job, but we still feel like we didn't do our best in the first half. We had a couple drops and a few missed opportunities, we thought, but then to come in, and I, I believe it was 24-0. to zero. Um, And you really don't know as an offensive coach till someone tells you. And then just to have that feeling, it's like, <laughs> holy cow, you're right, they aren't scoring. Um, and then to come out and... For them to go three and out and then us to score on the second play, um, to me that was a, a huge difference. Matt Ryan has given you an awful lot of credit for what has happened to him this year. When I asked him a couple of weeks ago, I said, what's Kyle Shanahan meant? He said to me, he made me realize that I'm a little bit of an athlete. You know, he said, you know, you're not, you're not a clod out there. You know, you can move around. And he sort of showed it on this 14-yard touchdown. Tell me, when you came in to do this job, what did you say to Matt Ryan about what you wanted him to do maybe a little bit more that he wasn't doing? 
Well, Matt, Matt's been successful his whole career. So anytime you come in with a guy who's been successful, you got you got to meet him halfway. And you know, Matt, Matt's always been able to move the ball and do a lot of things in the dropback game. But you know, I was it was I was trying to convince him on how to help out the other guys and to you know if we could develop a little bit more of a play action, a little bit more keepers, stuff that would help our run game out and also help out our O line. You know, something with Matt that. Matt can make any throw, just dropping back and seeing the defense. So it took it took a lot of convincing that hey, sometimes we got to put your back to the defense, do a little play action and stuff. And you know, I think at first, you know, he wasn't didn't always understand how that could help him because he doesn't need to do that. Just let him see, and he can make the throw anyways. But the more you start to learn it and use it, you start to realize, hey, you know, these guys aren't rushing the passer as much as they used to. I got a little bit more time in the pocket, and even though it is a little bit harder to have your back to the defense because you can't always see what's going on, uh, you, if you can find a way to slow down that rush, balance the field out. And get a defense to play everything, whether it's the run, the pass, screens, play action, bootlegs, dropbacks. If you can get them to play everything, and you have a quarterback like like Matt, and we got a bunch of guys spread around with some good, with all different traits, it makes you very hard to stop. And also, you did want him to run a little bit if the opportunity presented itself, right? Definitely. I mean, it's, you never are designing a play for Matt Ryan to run. You're, you're trying to design a play to make the defense defend everybody. Um, and if they do defend everybody, then you have to answer it with your legs. And, um, you know, you're not trying to get home runs with it, but you want to make defenses play sound. And when they do play sound, you should be able to run the ball for five to ten yard gain. And, and if you continually do that, eventually they have to come up and answer for you. And then that makes everybody else's job easier. With Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator of the, I almost said at the Denver Broncos. That's totally bizarre. <laughs> Sorry, I get that a lot. It's weird. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, of the Atlanta Falcons, of the NFC champion Atlanta Falcons. So, Kyle, you have had sort of a long career already in coaching in the NFL. You've been a bunch of places. you know. You, and I wonder now, where, when you look at your career, what do you think has really helped you the most to sort of get to this point where you're on the verge of being a head coach in the NFL? Um, I think everything. You know, there's not one step of my career that I would have skipped um, if I had to do it all over again. You know, I had a lot of early early success in Houston, um, being able to start out as a coordinator with Matt Schaub, and we had a bunch of good players there. And then going to Washington and have to work through a bunch of different rosters, a bunch of different quarterbacks, and um, finding different ways to do things, even having Robert and having to go to a zone read type of scheme. And it really helped me grow as a coach, um, realizing I couldn't do everything that I did in Houston and had to learn. And then going through the things I did in Cleveland, um, you know, we did a lot of good things there too I felt and making that decision to try to get out of there and come here to Atlanta you know um, you know, we started out 5-0 and last year, went on a six-game losing streak. I uh, went through a lot of adversity at Atlanta our first year, but you know, we finished seventh in offense, and I always felt we were a lot closer than people thought. And to be able to bounce back and um, you know, get better this year and to be where we're at, uh, every, every step has helped me. Um, you know, sometimes you know, it was hard, and I wasn't always enjoying everything. But when I look back, I feel what I've been through has really made me battle-tested. I feel I can handle anything. And um, I've been through a lot of situations that really have forced me to adjust. And in the long run, I think it's made me a, a better coach, a better person, um, and a lot more confident. Were you, do you think, from a young age destined to be a coach? Um, I mean, I, I guess so. I, I, you know, I think you're, you're a product of your environment. I've grown up football my entire life. Um, you know, always watching, being around my dad's teams and being a ball boy for the 49ers and being able to be close to guys like John Taylor and Jerry Rice and Steve Young and Harris Barton and going over to Thanksgiving and people like John Elway's house and stuff like that. Growing up, I've just lived and died football and I've always been around it and had a goal for so long to play, which I did work really hard at and ended up getting a chance to play in college. But uh, once I decided to get into coaching it definitely was a lot easier than playing. I felt I was more natural at it. Um, my genes were definitely better for coaching than they were for playing. A lot of things came easy at first, but definitely had to work for a while, and I'm happy where I'm at. Do you think being around your father at a young age, like I'm always, I always think of Bill Belichick in this way. So Bill Belichick's dad was a longtime assistant coach and scout at the Naval Academy. And so by the time he was six years old, his father said, if you're real quiet, you can sit in on our team meetings. You know, you can just listen. You can't move. You can't make a sound. And Bill wanted to do it so bad that from the time he was six and seven years old, he's sitting in there with some of the great Navy teams of the 60s. And I wonder, was that a little bit like what it was for you early on going in to be with your dad when he was coaching? Well, yes, there's no doubt about it. And I remember from being in early ages, sitting in on install meetings back even in the Niners when my dad was a coordinator there and I was a ball boy. Um, I remember sitting in through. How tri- old would you have been? 
um, throughout middle school. So sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. Um, I remember throughout high school, you know, when my dad was a head coach, being able to sit in throughout draft meetings and on draft day and just sit in there. And I was always watching stuff because I wanted to play and just watching players and everything. But um, just sitting there and absorbing everything in, you start to understand the the urgency of the NFL, what's expected. Um, I've kind of lived it my whole life, and it's, you know, it's really all I've known. And once you get into it, you realize um, right away that, you know what, this – this is something that is not new to me. It's something I've been around, and even though I didn't always realize I was studying to be a coach, um, once you get in that position, you realize you've kind of been trained for this your whole life. What leads you to believe right now that you're ready to be a head coach in the NFL? Um, you know, I've believed it for a while. You know, you, you always want the right opportunity, but, you know, I think it starts with being, you know, I've, I've been battle tested. I think I've gone through a lot of situations that, um, you know, a lot of coordinators in this league haven't. I think I've had to handle some situations or gotten some attention, mostly negative, um, <laughs> as that usually only head coaches have to deal with. Um, so I think that's helped me prepare for from that you standpoint. Did, you really were put through the ringer with Robert Griffin III but, in Washington, especially the second year. Well, yeah, it wasn't just that. It was four years of Washington. So, yeah. I don't know, anytime you go somewhere where... Washington's a different place. No, there's no doubt if, about that. If you're not going to win the Super Bowl, you're a bum. No, I realized that <laughs> when I was there when they would... Every time they talked about the head coach, they'd put an S at the end of the name and they'd call it the Shanahan's. That's yeah. when I realized I was in a different spot because I was just the coordinator. But <laughs> didn't, you, so. didn't you about that time realize that I need to love my dad He's a brilliant guy, but I need to be myself. I need to go somewhere and be by myself now. Oh, yeah, that was the thing. I, I had done that before that. So, you know, I, I, you know, people thought I had coached with my dad before Washington, but I never had. I'd been at UCLA. I'd been at Tampa. I'd been at Houston. It was one thing when he got fired from Denver. You know, I had a, I, when I got into coaching and when I was younger, I always told my dad that I wanted to coach with him someday. And um, we both made it a point that I'd go a different direction and um, wanted to prove myself first. And once I had a chance to prove myself, that's when I wanted to coach with him. And when he got fired from Denver kind of unexpectedly and he had that year off, I remember telling him, and I was a coordinator at um, Houston at this time, and we had just finished being third in the league and things were going really well in Houston. And my dad was taking the year off because he just got fired. And I remember telling him, hey, dad, when you, when you get back, whether it's next year, whether it's 10 years from now, whether it's college, whether it's NFL, you know, I, I've realized that you're not going to be a head coach forever. And it's important to me that we coach together someday. So whenever you get back, I'm going to go with you if I can. And he happened to come back the next year and it was Washington. And it really didn't matter to me. That was something I wanted to do. And I went there and I would never take it back. As you look at it right now, was it worth it? There's, a lot of the pain, the heartache. There's no doubt it was worth it. Was it? If, if, um, if my dad had ever passed away and I had never coached with him before, that's something um, that would have been real hard on me because that was something I wanted to do my whole life. And I got that opportunity. Um, you know, I wish it could have gone a little bit better, and, but um, I think it was something I needed to do. Even though it was hard, it made me stronger, and uh, I want to take it back for anything. My dad and I are, have always been close, and that was my first time I really got to see him as a coach, being a coach. and. Um, he's a hell of a coach, and I don't regret anything there. With Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl-bound Atlanta Falcons. So the last thing I would ask you about is I think everybody in San Francisco and every 49er fan, nothing has happened officially, nobody knows anything, but it sure seems like you're going to coach the San Francisco 49ers. So whether it happens or not, if you were speaking to a 49er fan right now about what kind of coach – whether it be San Francisco or somewhere else, what kind of coach are you going to be in the NFL? Yeah, I'm going to try to be how I've always been. You know, I, I live and die football. I love football from an X and O standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. Um, really, everything that I do in my life is about my wife and my kids, and then it's about football. And I always work as hard as I can, um, study as much as I can, and I'm going to always develop an opinion. Um, work with other people to get that opinion and whatever you think's right we're going to do that and we're going to try to do it for the right reasons you can always count on me to um you know i'll make the hard decision uh, but I'll always try to make the right decision and not everyone's right you know you mess up a lot but you know, you're going to get a guy who always works hard and um is always thinking what's best for the organization what's best for the football team and what's going to help us win games now and down the road i think one of the great things about that job even though they have fired three coaches in 25 months <laughs> That's a great stat for you to <laughs> mull over. Uh -huh. But the next guy is going to get a long time, relatively speaking. Nothing is real long in football. But to me, they've got to give you three, four years minimum and a longer contract than that because you need to institute your culture 
when you go, whether it's there or somewhere else, does that at all intimidate you? Um, not really. You got to look in every situation for what they have, what they're saying, and um, you know, it's something I, I got to talk to them a couple weeks ago. Um, I'll be allowed to talk to them again this week. Um, we'll, we'll see what their plans are. Um, don't really know yet, but um, that definitely that's something that is enticing, and you hope to have an opportunity because everything takes takes time. But uh, you got to make sure you got that. Kyle Shanahan, good luck in the Super Bowl. It's uh, great to see you finally get that opportunity, and I hope it works out for you as a head coach. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. This is the MMQB Podcast. QB Podcast. SeatGeek is the smart way to buy and sell tickets for live events. Whether you're looking for Super Bowl tickets or looking to find the best seats to NBA, NHL, college basketball games, and concerts, too, nothing beats SeatGeek. There's nothing like being in the stadium watching and cheering for your favorite team. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I know, I'm a SeatGeek user. Now pay attention to this next part because it's really important. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app and go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then enter promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Doesn't get any easier than that, folks. So download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code MMQB. Privilege to be joined by Bob Ryan, the longtime sports writing legend from Boston. It's amazing that a few years ago, I had the great honor to be honored as the Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association down in North Carolina. And Bob was there. And, you know, I, I remember Bob really put it in great, great perspective. You know, he was talking about how wonderful it was to to go to this place, Salisbury, North Carolina, a place where not a lot happens, but they love sports writers. And and he said to me that day, he said, he said, hey, I mean, it isn't isn't it nice to go somewhere where people love you and where people want to say really great things about you and the profession, sort of after what we hear out here. But but anyway, Bob, I remember that well, and uh, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome, Peter. It is a special place in our, our many of our hearts to think that back in 1959, a, a restaurant owner named Pete Demisio and his friends thought so much of sports casters and sports writers that they wanted to honor them on and, and created this circumstance that led to the formation of this organization and uh, the awards banquet that's been held for 57 years and every prominent name in sports casting uh, and sports writing over the last six decades has come through Salisbury as a result, and it's really yeah. gratifying to be a part of it. Well, you've won that four times. You were at the Globe for 44 years before retiring in 2012. You obviously still write for the Globe on occasion. And uh, I wanted to talk to you today and this week in the wake of the Patriots making their seventh Super Bowl of the Belichick-Brady-Craft era. And uh, I I just wanted to sort of put it in perspective, in part because— First of all, uh, you know, you've gotten to cover so many interesting things in Boston. You covered so many of the great Celtics teams sort of at the end of Bill Russell, right? And then throughout uh, all the rest of their great teams and saw so much of Havlicek and Cowens and McHale and Parrish and Bird. And, you know, you've also been around for the Red Sox in, in some of their glory days. And I just wonder, from your perspective, where do you put this... Patriots run versus some of the great Celtics teams that you watched and the great Celtics eras that you witnessed? You have to rank this at the top because, as has been so often stated, it is a salary cap league. We are in a salary cap era. The idea that someone was able 
to maintain this type of dominance and continuity in this particular era for a decade and a half. This began with the 2002 title game, uh, AFC Championship game. Well, no, the first round game, the famous snow game, the tuck rule game. It began with the tuck rule game in January of 2002, following the 2001 season in which they went 11-5 and in Bill Belichick's second year. And the emergence of this young quarterback uh, who only got in the, on the job because Mo Lewis took out Drew Bledsoe and, and almost killed him. He had a ruptured spleen and so forth. The idea that a decade and a half later we are talking about the same coach and the same quarterback with no other, no other personnel uh, people remaining in, in the front office, only the owner, the coach, and the quarterback. So as opposed to the early days of the Celtics, it was, uh, Peter, when they, when they first won, we're having the 60th anniversary this year, April 15th, wow. when they beat the uh, Hawks 125-123 in double overtime for their first championship. It was an eight-team league. And then when Russell retired 13 years later, it was a 14-team league. And now it's a 32-team league, and, and you have three tiers of the playoffs. There's a whole different march to the playoffs. Baseball is similarly expanded. Uh, as we know, from 16 when we grew up to what it is now. And, and football, 12-team NFL, hockey, 6 to what it is now. But the point being that the other three all have uh, restrictions. But to do it in this regard and, and, uh, and keep it going uh, is, 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 is a singular achievement. You know, you've, you've been around, you obviously were around Red Auerbach a bunch, and, you know, he's clearly one of the or the best coach in NBA history. I wonder, are there any similarities, do you think, between Bill Belichick and Red Auerbach? Well, they're both of the boss, there's no question. Red was a, 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 a not-so-belevolent dictator in an era when you could be a, a, a dictator and there was no recourse. Uh, we know we're living in a different world with different temperaments and personalities and different ways of coaching. But, uh, so Red was able to be a, a complete... But, but Red was very smart in that he, though he was a dictator and it was, uh, and it was not a democracy, the fact is that he did make allowances for personalities. He, did ne- he never yelled at, at uh, Bob Cousy. He never yelled at Russell. He yelled at Tommy Heinsohn because he used him as a whipping boy symbol that he knew Tommy could take it. And lots of examples of, of things like that that he did. Russell, in his later days, didn't have to practice because he knew he was much more important that he could play 45 minutes a game in a, in a, rather than worrying about practice, uh, etc. And I, I don't know to what degree... Uh, Belichick has any any uh, uh, allowances, if you will. We know that uh, we, he has a uh, policy of trying to eliminate players before their usefulness ends rather than after, uh, and we all wonder what's going to happen when the day comes when Brady's deterioration is obvious, although we know it's not imminent. Anyway, personality-wise, uh, I, I think that they're very distinct uh, and and uh, they both come from different eras. I mean, Red's a man of his times. He's born in 1918. You know, Belichick's a man of his times. Uh, Red grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, Belichick basically grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, the son of a football coach. Um, but their their control of they have they both exert 100 control of the of the comings and goings of their players. Red did uh, as a as a player, excuse me, as a coach slash GM and later as a GM, and Belichick, as you know, the buck stops with him in New England. So in that sense, they have all the power, but I think we both would agree they earned, they earned it. You know, one of the things that I would, when I think about those two guys, and I grew up in Connecticut, and when I was a kid, you know, eight or ten years old, I was became a huge Celtics fan, and Red Auerbach was one of those guys who you always thought, this guy does nothing wrong. This guy pushes all the right buttons. And I've heard over the years, I remember asking Pat Riley this question once before I, this is a long time ago, I was covering the Lakers for a few days for Newsday once, and I'll never forget, I asked him basically about, what about the criticism that you just roll out the basketball? You've got such great players, you just roll out the basketball. And he basically said, well, if it would be that easy, they'd get somebody and pay him a lot less money than they pay me. But it isn't that easy. And he had this thing on his team where he was convinced that he took 10-game stretches of his team, of all the players on his team, and he would take certain statistics of every one of those 10-game stretches. And he would go to these guys and he'd say, okay, the next 10 games, I want you to have one more offensive rebound per game say, to Kurt Rambis or something like that. And I always thought that, you know, you have to judge teams 
based on the way you think you can make them better. And that's why with the MMQB, Jenny Varentis went up and did a, a long story on Brady last week and about one of the reasons that the the Patriots have it so good is that Brady can be coached hard. And he does he does respect when Josh McDaniels says, okay, look at your footwork here. You got to be better doing X, Y, and Z. And that, I think, is such a great thing for this team because it shows everybody else who shows up. Randy Moss comes through. Hey, the coach is yelling at Brady. That's that's ridiculous. Brady's great. So I think that ends up helping him a lot too. And I, you being there, you 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 probably have seen that yourself. Yes. Well, I saw it a lot. You know, the the person who jumped to mind my mind when you mentioned the circumstance would be Bird with with uh, any coach that he had. Uh, particularly with Bill Fitch, when when uh, when Bill Fitch took over the team in 1979, um, and it was a it was a hard butt uh, Marine type, and a lot didn't didn't go over well with certain guys in that team. But it, but Bird loved it. He wanted to be coached, wanted to improve, wanted to learn how to be better. Was will, totally willing to listen, uh, and. Uh, that's any coach will tell you when your best player uh, feels that way, and then as your hardest worker, you're halfway home. In fact, I'm, um, Tim Duncan would be one of the great examples of all time of that as well. Uh, interesting about that, yes. Um, uh, there's the, the, but they're just one thing. I, would, I just kind of apropos of uh, just a big topic here, but not the specific you just raised. I'm thinking more and more as you asked me the question about the difference between the two people. Red Auerbach is one of the handful of true larger-than-life people that I have ever encountered, they absolutely, who absolutely lived up to his public image when I, when I met him and as I got to know him. Now, as I really got to know him, you saw the softer side, and I saw a side of Red as time went on that the average person didn't see. But let me tell you that he was on, if you will, um, and being Red Auerbach as you perceive him to be, uh, bombastic, autocratic, dictatorial, uh, uh, you know, just um, in charge, uh, most of the time. Um, and I think Belichick is smaller than life. Belichick doesn't he have no desire to be a public uh, figure of, uh, in, uh, or symbol in, in publicly uh, in any way. You know, Peter, that, that, that he, there is an invented Bill Belichick, though, that, he is, uh, that we see um, that is a negative, that cast a negative feeling, uh, uh, that, and yet there is a, there, there is a, a father and there is a, 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 a you know, a, a, well, former husband now, a, you know, a partner, uh, and there is a, uh, somebody that has a private life, uh, that maybe people in Nantucket see. Uh, but it's, it's, it's soft. I mean, I mean, it's, it's less, um, what's what I'm trying to search for here. It's not flashy. It's not flamboyant. It's not, um, it, it's not, but, but red, Red didn't mind people viewing him in, in that bombastic way, and, and, and Belichick has crafted a, a far different public image. Do you see any of Larry Bird in Tom Brady? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I do, and the way I uh, um, pointed it out, um, in terms of the, the, the approach, the dedication to the job, Larry... I can, let me get, tell you Larry Bird's story that symbolizes, and I think you can apply it in, 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 to Brady. In 1983, the Celtics were swept by the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, it was the low point of that particular uh, era. Uh, and um, uh, Bird had been sick and, and missed Game One, and uh, it just never got off the mark. But the, but the team had tuned him out. Uh, him being Fitch, everybody had tuned out Fitch, but Bird, and uh, it was. But and it was a just a, a downer. After Game Four in Milwaukee. Now, at that point in time, I happened to be in my 19-month stint <coughs> in television. Although I never did leave writing the Globe full time, uh, I wrote part time then. But I was full time in television for 19 months, uh, and I was there on my guys' TV guy. And I didn't have a deadline, and so I was able to be hanging around after everyone had left. And there were two of us left in the locker room with Larry Bird, Glenn Ordway, who then was the color man for Johnny Most on the Celtic radio broadcast, and myself. And Larry said that he was taking this loss personally, and he was going home, and he was going to practice, and he was going to get better. And he was going to come back a better player, and next year we're going to win the championship. And he went home, and he came back next year, and he was a better player. He had a left-hand shot that he did not have before. He had, he had moves that he did not have before. And, of course, they made a big move to get Dennis Johnson. And they also changed coaches because Fitch uh, left. But the point is, that's the attitude. I think Brady 
uh, has always had as well, too. He's never satisfied. He knows he, he always feels that he can get better. And, and he has the highest demands on his players. As you know, um, with receivers, this is a, probably, would you agree with me, got to be the hardest team in the league to be a wide receiver, if only because of the complexity of the offense and most specifically because of the demands of the quarterback? Oh, you know, if you can't take wanting for seven months a year, everything you do is wanting to be perfect. I mean, this is one of the reasons. If Rob Gronkowski had gone to some other team, I'm not saying he wouldn't have strived to be great, but he wouldn't be nearly as great as he has been because he wouldn't understand that every fiber of his being for seven months a year has to be put toward trying to win. You know, you can Mm -hmm. go on the party boat after that, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, the discipline you have to have as a receiver, knowing uncertain option routes that the Patriots will have of, you know, depending how you're covered to run a certain way. Well, if you're wrong, Brady's going to roast you, and rightfully so, because you didn't know what you were supposed to do. And so not only do you have the coaches and not only are you concerned about Belichick or McDaniels watching tape and, and calling you out, but even more than that, you're concerned about Brady. Ask Randy Moss. He feared, I, I don't fear was not the right word, but he always thought he, he didn't want to get on Brady's bad side. I mean, this is a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, and he's worried about getting on the bad side of his quarterback. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, do you think that if anyone told Michael Floyd a month ago that he'd be with the Patriots and he would, be not sub- he would not be suiting up for a playoff game? Uh, that he would not be activated, uh, and 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 the reason is he's not ready to to do everything that is necessary uh, uh, to participate in an offense. Uh, well, if he had if that had happened in Arizona, Michael Floyd would have gone bat crap, I think. Uh, yeah. And but you you don't do that. You do that on other teams after you've been a first round pick and after you've contributed for a long time. You just don't do that in New England. You know, you're, if you do. You're not going to be around. You're going to get Jonas Grade. And I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that... a great example. Well, talk about one of the great footnotes in anybody's history. <laughs> it's totally bizarre. And, and, and then he's never heard he from again. He and he's gone. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. It's the MMQB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients right to your front door. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. It can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. That's three meals free just by adding in MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Please don't wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook. Bob, tell me this. So Tom Brady at age 39. Go back into your little your mental Rolodex there and tell me if you've ever seen a player in any sport play like this at this level at this age. Well, the first thing I'll say is uh, I need to revisit the career of Warren Moon because the name has come yeah. up uh, uh, and, and see exactly what he accomplished at this age because he's the guy. I, I was thinking about 100 other guys and starting with Favre, and, and it, but that didn't have anywhere near this level of success at 39. But we're going to have to revisit uh, – give the full deference and homage to Warren Moon when we initiate this discussion. Now, that aside, uh, in my experience, I, uh, at 39, well, we just saw one with Big Poppy, 
And uh, that would certainly qualify to a, a large degree. The guy goes out leading the league in significant offensive categories. That's almost unheard of. That is unheard of. In fact, uh, you know, I mean, all the great farewell years of baseball history, the only one that would compare would be Sandy Koufax is going out with 27 and 9 and, and a sigh in 1966. But we know that was all due to injury. He was 30 years of age. But yeah. in terms of age, uh, accomplishment. This is one of the singular years in the history of, of, of sport. Maybe we better check and see what Gordy Howe did at 39, since he played yeah. till he was 52 or 3. I bet he was, put up some pretty good numbers for the Red Wings at 39. Um, and, but in my experience around here, uh, Poppy you know, does enter, enter into this discussion. But football being a physical sport, Peter, I'll tell you this honestly, two years ago, he got off Tate Brady, didn't get off to a great start. And I'm watching him, and he's simply not making good throws. He's not making good throws. And I'm saying, okay, he's 37. It's happening. We are witnessing the sad but inevitable deterioration of a Hall of Fame player. It's time. He's 37. We can't complain. It's happening. And that guy is like distant memory. Where, where did that guy go? Because what we're looking at this year is a Brady that you can argue is truly as good as ever and clearly is more mobile. It's preposterous. And a part of it, I think, too, is that he's the kind of person, and I, I talked to somebody who had a private moment with him in the off season, and he basically, you know, when this person was talking to him about, and I'm going to be, this is going to be a cliche, but what makes you so great? What, you know, and I, I don't know what exactly the question was. And he said, Brady basically said to him, I murder practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I win practice every day. That was basically his point. And, you know, there's no off time. There's no anything. It reminds me of what it was. I just saw this on Twitter. Dak Prescott of the Cowboys sent a little message to everybody who uh, was going to be at the Senior Bowl this week, all the players who were going to be, uh, you know, basically auditioning before 32 NFL head coaches, 32 Mm -hmm. general managers, 32 staffs. And Dak Prescott said, just remember, every moment during the week you're on, somebody's watching you. It matters. Everything matters. Practice matters. Interviews matter. Everything matters. And, and Bob, that's the way Tom Brady has lived his career. That's the way he's lived his off-season workouts. There was, he won the Super Bowl two years in a row, like 2003 and 2004, and the next year, each time, he won the off-season attendance award for, for workouts. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, he just, you know, he's just a sick competitor. You know, I, I'm really glad you told that story about Bird because I swear, now— I'll say this. You wouldn't hear Brady say that. Brady would just do it. Because Brady is not going to tell anybody what he's going to do. But he would do it. That's exactly what he would do. He'd come back next year, and he just like Bird had the left-handed shot, Brady would have the left-handed throw, <laughs> you know, the next yeah. year. Well, you know, um, you tell people that, and, and, and I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful, or, uh, to the, but his... When he looks in the mirror, here's what he sees in this order. Football player, husband slash father, uh, you know, then whatever, then pitch man, whatever, you know. But, hey, Giselle, I'm sorry, but you, you, football is his life, and, and yeah. you're a major part of it. But he wants to be a football player as long as he can be a football player. Now, I, the 45 may be stretched, but Peter – I, I think if he, I think he honestly thinks it's it's conceivable. I think he honestly thinks it's conceivable. Bob, if he does all this stuff, if he does all this stuff to get to age forty-five or whatever age it ends up becoming, you know, if he has the avocado ice cream is as big as vice. If he, you know, if he if he works out the way he does, if you know, if he has this great degree of privacy in his life, I got great admiration for this guy. You know, somehow, some way, I remember last year, Bob, when Peyton Manning retired, you know, I have a relationship with Tom, and I reached out to him, and he called me that morning, because Manning retired, I forget, it was, the news broke, Mortensen broke it maybe 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and so immediately, I, uh, you know, I contacted, I just left a message for, for Brady, and about maybe 9.45 that morning, there he was calling from the sidelines of his son's soccer game. 
And, you know, his son was playing. You could hear the crowd in the background. You could hear everybody yelling and, and all that stuff. It was just, you know, he was every man at his kid's soccer game. And, and yet, because I know this, I know a lot of people who know him. He lives his life. And somehow, some way, he's not paparazzied to death. Okay, he is when he's with when he's with Giselle, but somehow, some way, he finds a way to be able to live his life, which I find pretty admirable. You know? I've been talking about this for years. He's the most compartmentalized star of his type that I have ever known. Uh, that that he has found a way. He's not a hermit. He goes right. out. That's he right. He goes out. Yep. He's frequently seen now uh, at kids at his course long before he had either any of the children, the three children. He he was out, but now that he's out, he's a father. He goes to their games. Benjamin's a hot. We know he plays hockey. Uh, you know, we know this. He goes to these games and 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 so on and so forth. And he's lived this public life. Yet there's some kind of invisible shield that allows him to walk around, and people don't bother. They don't. They don't accost him. They they grant him that inherent space to where he can go out and be comfortable, it is not a privilege granted to guys of that ilk as a rule. And, 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 it, and it makes so many of their other lives very difficult and untenable and, 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 and almost miserable. He's never gotten into that state. And, and, it's, and even when he's married to the most famous model in the world, but maybe it's because when he goes out there into Europe and South America with her, he's not the focal point. I mean, that's part of his life now, that he's not, and must be amusing to him. But yes, you're right. He is compartmentalized to a phenomenal degree. This is the MMQB Podcast. Every football team knows the two-point play can be a winning move, a real game changer. That's why State Farm is here to help you combine your home and auto insurance. Two great policies, the two-point play, protecting two of your most valuable possessions, all with one company. It's a great call that can save you time, can save you money, and it simplifies your life. Because State Farm understands your life is about more than insurance, especially at this time of year, when everybody knows life is all about football. Football, football, football. So, go for the win. Score yourself some savings by combining your home and auto insurance. It's just another way State Farm is here to help life go right. Talk to an agent today at 1-800-STATE-FARM. Bob, last, last thing I was curious about. When Matt Ryan was a Boston College Eagle, and I think from 2004 to 2007, if I'm not mistaken, was there any buzz in town about Matt Ryan? The senior year, they had a good team and were ranked as high as number two. I know it's unimaginable at the present <laughs> time when they went through a 2015 season in which they did not win a football game or a basketball game in the ACC. But back in 2007, thanks to the leadership and the skill of Matt Ryan, they had a team that was ranked as high as number two and which finished in the top ten. He was clearly a top a first-round pick. And uh, so there was a buzz to the degree that any college sports athlete can have a buzz in Boston, which is a predominant pro town. I would say he's the last Boston college athlete that to command any kind of significant attention and uh, he was the third pick in the oh, i just went back and looked and see i covered yeah, third that draft. Pick. Peter, it's the only nfl draft i've ever attended and i co- it was in my i covered it and wrote about him and and the gist of it all was this was in the wake of post michael vick era for right. the for the falcons and they were as interested in a a figure a figure leader um a, a, a face for the franchise, right. as much as a they billboard. were a, yeah. a strong right arm, and he he was central casting. He had been he, they identified him as having the the personality, the charm, the 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 the, the humility, everything that the the pack, the charisma, the whatever that they could market as well as uh, as as develop into a championship quarterback. Well, it's taken a long time for him to get this far, but um, that was part of the deal, is that he was the right guy as well as being the right player. And so that's the, that's the essence of Matt Ryan. Bob, how amazing is it that uh, Matt Ryan was a senior at Boston College going through that year when the New England Patriots had their 16-0 and season? Yeah, it was. That's how long the Patriots have been great. That seems like mid or almost, you know, 70% through their great run because they had already won three. And that was the fourth Super Bowl year. It's like, you know, and, and, and now Matt Ryan is in his ninth year. <laughs> it's not like he's a four-year player. He's in his ninth year. And, you know, one of the dynamics of this Super Bowl is that we, for, 
probably for the first time, you would be far more able to confirm this than I. Uh, we the quarterback duel or rivalry is big brother little brother because yeah. uh, they have a relationship. Brady has been telling the world now how they text frequently during the season, and if you go back and look it up, you would see that uh, Ryan uh, made references to Brady uh, having his uh, uh, friendship uh, when he was still at BC. So uh, this is a fascinating little dynamic. Uh, uh, this isn't Peyton versus Eli, but this is the next best thing. Who wins? I like, oh, I'm going to go all parochial as much as I fear, and I mean fear, Julio Jones. And I know they got other weapons, but he's the impossible matchup. And I, I still I won't be able to get that touchdown catch and run out of my head from Sunday. Yeah. Um, I think they'll find a way. I think the Patriots will find a way. And this is the chance for the defense to shut up the critics, such as myself, who have to honestly point out that they have had a blessed circumstance of schedule and of timing, in which not only did they have a soft schedule, but they, but they played the Steelers the first time without Roethlisberger. They played even the Dolphins the second time without Tannehill. They yeah. played the Steelers in the big game, and Bell got hurt immediately. They have been blessed in that fortune. But they've got numbers to say that they're a great defensive team. Okay, guys. This is your one chance. It's your final exam in the big game. Prove it. I think they will. I think the Patriots will find a way to win. Bob Ryan, so honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, Peter, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. My thanks to Kyle Shanahan and to Bob Ryan for some very smart Super Bowl talk. Now, a few thoughts on this matchup. First of all, One of the reasons why I love New England against Atlanta is because these teams have not played since 2013. In 2013, 37 of the current 53 men on the Atlanta roster were not there. And Dan Quinn, the head coach, was not there. Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, was not there. New coaching staff, 70% new roster. So much is new from the Atlanta perspective. But you look at New England, and really the key people have not changed. Bill Belichick there, Tom Brady there, the coordinators there. And one of the reasons why I find this so interesting, and I'll take you into the Atlanta locker room. I wrote this in my Monday morning quarterback column this week. But when I recorded my Kyle Shanahan bit for this podcast, One of the things that was so interesting about him, and I've always thought this about Shanahan, one of the things I noticed, I said to him, well, we recorded this maybe in the middle of the second quarter of the the AFC game. I said, well, it looks like you'll be facing New England. He said, good. And that isn't Kyle Shanahan being so cocky, hey, I got a chip on my shoulder, I dare you to knock it off. It wasn't that. It's that Dan Quinn, Kyle Shanahan, what they have created in Atlanta is they want to play a great team. They want to play the best. You know, they don't want by some fluky means to face some nine and seven team in the Super Bowl. And I know you laugh at that and you say, oh, that's that's a joke. Of course they would want to play a lesser team than New England. Well, maybe deep down they would, but I can tell you from knowing Dan Quinn and certainly from knowing Kyle Shanahan, part of the thrill of being in this game is to be facing the great Bill Belichick, the great Tom Brady, uh, two great coordinators in Matt Patricia on defense, Josh McDaniels on offense. And so that's one of the things I really like about this matchup. The other thing that I think is so interesting about this game is sort of the matchup of the quarterbacks. So Tom Brady, obviously, with his greatness— It was his seventh year as a starting player in the NFL, seventh full season, basically, as a starting player, when the last game of the regular season, the New England Patriots went to the Meadowlands 15-0. They could be in position to have the first perfect season, you know, in the NFL in these modern times. So they're trying to go 16-0, and they obviously play a hard-fought tooth and nail, tremendous football game. And though it was nine years ago, you all remember it, I'm sure, many of you. New England 38, Giants 35. They had to fight for everything. Tom Coughlin and his team had nothing to play for that night, but he didn't care. They were playing like it was the most important game of their lives. A great sports event at the Meadowlands. 
New England Patriots went 16-0 and and then obviously went on to lose in the Super Bowl to these same New York Giants. I bring that up because at that moment, that night, Matt Ryan was a senior at Boston College. The previous day, Matt Ryan had played in the Champ Sports Bowl in Florida against Michigan State. It was his last college game ever. So just think, you think of that game with Tom Brady almost as being in mid-career, or maybe even later than that. Well, Matt Ryan hadn't even been drafted by the Atlanta Falcons then. So it just tells you a couple of things. Number one, that Matt Ryan is still a little bit of a pup, even though he's just finished his ninth year. But imagine Tom Brady this year, including playoffs, 33 touchdowns, four interceptions at age 39. We're seeing one of the great years that a quarterback has ever had, really, considering he did it after a four-week layoff and at age 39. And Matt Ryan watching from his college dorm room so much of the Tom Brady greatness, because Matt Ryan went to college in Boston, a Boston college, and he has told me that a lot of times on Sundays, he'd just be sitting there watching the Patriots. They'd be the game on TV, and he'd be watching Tom Brady. And now Matt Ryan is there trying to prevent Tom Brady from being the first quarterback in NFL history to win five Super Bowls, trying to prevent Bill Belichick from becoming the first coach in NFL history to win five Super Bowls. Things have come full circle with the former Boston College Eagle. And if you think about it, now, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan. Tom Brady, at some point, I don't know, he's going to age out of this league. Maybe it'll be six more years. Gosh knows when it'll be. But Matt Ryan, to me, is a very fitting heir to Tom Brady's throne in the NFL. And we'll see how soon that happens. But I absolutely love this matchup for many reasons, but also just because that Matt Ryan, while he was in college, watched almost every one of Tom Brady's games, and he is going to have a great time personally and professionally playing in this game on Super Bowl Sunday. Thank you to my guests, Kyle Shanahan and Bob Ryan. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my talks with John Elway, Adam Schefter, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these on the MMQB.com or on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to other podcasts on our series as well, with Albert Breer, Gary Grambling, and Andy Benoit. Thanks to the great folks at Digital Media for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, SeatGeek, Blue Apron, and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week, live from the Super Bowl. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.